Welcome to a short episode of the Creatively Engaging. In March of 2022, I profiled the amazing creative career of artist David Greenberger. It's an episode that is full of great stories and happenstance. And from those interviews, there was a beautiful story that didn't make it into the original podcast, but I feel it's just too good not to share. In this story, David tells of receiving a cache of letters, hundreds, personal correspondence from the 1950s between his mother and his father. Now, the letters were all of a similar format, but during a film shoot for Beth Harrington's upcoming documentary about David, Beyond the Duplex Planet, David noticed that one of the letters was different than the rest. The other thing I was going to tell you about was these letters... I never knew about this. We sort of know about the things in the house when you're kids. You like root around in closets in the attic, and you know what stuff your parents had, a yearbook or a scrapbook. You, you kind of know that. Well, there were these letters that were their correspondence from like the year and a half or so before they married. Um, they were all in a box. And when my mother was moving from the house to, a, to an apartment a few years ago, my sister said, look, store a lot of this. She's got a lot of space where she lives. In and so she was bringing a lot of stuff. And a lot of it my mother didn't know was there, didn't care. But there was this box of letters that I'd never even heard of. Neither had, had, had she. And she gave them to me. She said, I thought you might want them. So on one of my trips down there, she gave them to me. And I brought them all home. And there were hundreds, really. They were all um, identical in their envelopes with the postmark. They're all from like 1951, 52 into 53. They married in in June of fifty three, so I just thought, well, this is actually I read a, a, a couple of them. They were, I'd say, they were like seventy percent from my father to my mother. He being five years older and in the workforce, and my mother was in college, so he was writing practically every day. And I read a few of them, and they were so um, so mundane that they seemed private. They seem like the only person who'd be caring about any of this would be your sweetheart, your beloved. Just saying about, you know, I did this, then I came home from work, then I had this, and I made a dinner. It's like, that's that's not what you'd be presenting to the world. So it felt private in, in a strange way that I just felt like this is a nice object. I don't have to um, read them, but uh, as as a thing, these matched envelopes, especially my father's, they were all identical, uh, the envelopes. So anyway, I told Beth about it. And during one of the, she did a couple sessions via Zoom where she sent a a camera and sound guy up here from nearby to just keep some stuff going. So she had some ways to kind of do some stuff during the kind of lockdown. So I had told her about those. So she had um, Jeff, the cameraman. I, I spread them all out. I just sort of like scattered them across the bed or something so he could look at them with his camera. And then he, he left and went home. And then I was putting them away. And I thought, oh, I got to get a better box for them. I put them in a different box. And in doing that, I'd never inspected each one. There was one folded paper that wasn't in an envelope. I thought, oh, there's not, no envelope for this. I opened it up and looked at it, and it was a poem. I thought, that's interesting. I started reading. I thought, wait a minute, this isn't my father's handwriting. So then in reading it, I could see, oh, this was a poem 
written to my mother at a sort of breakup. And uh, then there was a second page, and it said, um, to Jane from Leo. So I thought, oh, this must be, within the family lore, there was some boyfriend that she had in college that her mother forced her to break up with, that fractured an already rather stilted relationship that she had with her mother. She had, she, her mother was not a mothering type. Mm-hmm. Her father, who was 15 years older than her mother was. Um, so I called my mother, who's got memory issues. I said, so what was the name of your boyfriend before dad? She said, oh, gosh, I wouldn't know. So, and then I thought, so then I just rephrased it a moment later. I said, what was Leo's last name? Mandelsberg. So it was like, so I just found a different way in. And, and then, cause I thought, part of me just thought, wouldn't it be great to find out who this guy was and get this poem to that family? And so Barbara, who's a better researcher than me, I kind of give up. It's like, I put it in Google, didn't find anything. I'm done. I'm going to go do something else. She found public records of, births and deaths and heirs and stuff. So she found like a Mandelsberg that would have been in Indiana near, like near Chicago. She was in Chicago, but they went to college in Bloomington and found that there was a Leo Mandelsberg who died 15 years ago. And it led to a Irit, uh, I-R-I-T, a Hebrew name, uh, Mandelsberg, who seemed to be in her thirties. So I thought that would be a granddaughter if in fact she's related uh, they all we could find for her was that she had worked for a place called the Rose Schnitzer Manor, which was an, a Jewish elderly housing facility in Portland, Oregon. Where when I did a project for the Portland Institute of Contemporary Art, I spent time. <laughs> it, but prior to when she was there, she's younger, so she I might have been there in two thousand, and she worked four years later and was there for five years or something. I thought, well, that's interesting. So uh, the only connection I could find to her was that I found her name on Facebook and then carefully composed to a message to send to her through Facebook that would make me not a, a stalker or a nut or something. So I basically said, you know, my parents' correspondence, da, 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 and then I kind of credentialed myself. I'm an artist. I was out there for Portland Contemporary Art did this thing. I was at Roshan. So I, you know, tried to make, make it as gentle as possible. And that was the end of it. And then six months later, which was about a year ago now, I got a message on Facebook from an Irit Mandelsberg. And I thought, why does that name sound familiar? So then I, <laughs> I couldn't remember. And I read it. She said, sorry, it took me so long. I, um, I, I never go on Facebook, um, but that's my grandfather. Um, so would you call me? And so I called her, and, and we chatted a little bit. She said, mostly my aunt, uh, Deborah's her name, really wants to talk to you. So her aunt would be my generation, uh, would be Leo's daughter. And she lives in Portland as well. That's how the niece happened to move out there. So I said, definitely, I'll give her my number. So she, Deborah called right away. She's the same age as me, and she's the eldest daughter of Leo. Irit had called her up saying, I got this message from this guy who I think, you know, say saying something about grandpa. Da, da, da. Um, and uh, she's describing that all to her and saying my name. 
And then Deborah's husband, who's sort of overhearing this, saying, wait a minute, we have a book by that guy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I did get the poem to, to her, and they knew nothing of this part of his life. Uh, he spoke, didn't speak of it. He, the, the reason that my grandmother broke them up was not one of, I think there was some belief in the family that maybe she didn't dissuade people from thinking that it was because he wasn't Jewish. He was extremely Jewish. It was a class issue. My grandmother, who grew up poor, married a doctor who was 15 years older than her and became very cosmopolitan, has always had, did very well. Her nieces and stuff thought that she was the most glamorous, the greatest clothes. So And so she didn't want for her daughter to be poor or something. And she viewed this guy, Leo, through a lens of knowing that they were refugees. They were in the last group to get out of Germany um, when the U.S. wasn't even accepting anybody. And so they ended up in Cuba, where he as a nine-year-old boy in 1939 um, lived like in some kind of shack on the beach until some Hebrew organization placed them in Fort Worth, Indiana. And that's where he grew up. But being that it's of that generation and at that time, he people tended to not talk about that. Oh, oh but the other thing about the class thing was that my my grandmother, I know this from family lore, my my mother had told this, that my her, her, her mother took her to a shoe store when she was home from vacation and when they were sitting there, she said, you like this? This is what your life will be like with that guy. You're going to be living over a shoe store. And so I told Deborah that. And Leo's father had been uh, owned a number of shoe stores in Berlin and was the guy who made ballet slippers for the Berlin Ballet. He was like successful. But all my grandmother knew of them was like a photo of him as a kid with his parents and his mother's got a shawl on, they're holding a bag. There were a photo of them as refugees, you know. And um I think she carried some shame for having done that. But the um the thing that Deborah said was that her father never spoke of anything from before, uh, which would be typical of that generation. Also of of he never mentioned actually that there were some siblings who never got out of Germany and were lost in the, the Holocaust. They found that out after he died when she was doing stuff. So um, this uh, romance, I think, was so compelling to both of them that when it ended, they both quickly found other people. Like my my mother met my father pretty soon after that, who was sort of, I think, always remained this way, just thrilled that this woman chose him, sort of, you know. But my mother, they they were married like a week after, it was planned, but it was like a week after college graduation. So my mother never moved back in with her mother. I think she just like, I'm done with that. And uh, Wow, what a story. Holy smokes. How long was the romance with uh, Leo? It was in her sophomore year. Um, Because then uh, there were some scrapbooks recently that as as she moved to this memory care place none of this stuff mattered so we've kind of moved some of it around to different ones of us and that my sister sent me and there were a whole section of photos of her with leo like um 
clearly some of them, there were some of them, like they were those old sort of Kodak ones, but smaller black and white with the little serrated edge. Crinkly. Yeah. yeah. And there were so, quite a few of him by himself and not many of her by herself. So clearly they were, they were taking pictures of each other for each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then there were pages devoted to her going to a ball with him, going to like some play that he was in the college stuff that he did, the track meet or whatever. Yeah. And they knew nothing of any of this. So I sent them all those programs and all that stuff. They must've just like, couldn't believe what you shared with them. Well, it's just a glimpse of him that they didn't ever, ever have. And the, she said that like Deborah, who we had this conversation, I said, had my grandmother not broken them up, we wouldn't really, exist as we are knowing to have this conversation and uh it was just um the the granddaughter irit uh, being a generation removed and not having grown up with him had a much sweeter sort of sense of she felt really bad that when she learned all of this from my telling deborah and then her sharing it with irit that they were this forced breakup they never even knew of the relationship but that he was shunned in that way after being sort of not accepted in a bigger way by being driven out for being Jewish in Germany and all that. And then to arrive here and to be shunned again by, you know, um, she just felt heartbroken for him. But Deborah took that all in, but also knew that he was a problematic guy and her father, you know, so it wasn't necessarily all the sweetness that you would have from a granddaughter, grandfather relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's been researching a lot of, stuff about it that she just wanted to know and this sort of added a chapter that they didn't know wow and in her my description of my mother fit their her description of her mother like they both like he found a a type or something well you know and it's interesting too you're talking just you know a few days ago about happenstance right and there you go you just happened to lay out all these letters for bath you know and you noticed one was different Right. Yeah, I could have just not noticed, or I could have noticed it and just thought that must be that guy. But I, I guess maybe this is what gets back to what you were asking before, and that I was then attributing to my parents. Part of me felt like this could be a way to interact with somebody in this unexpected way. Thanks for listening to this short episode with David Greenberger. As always, a treat to listen to his stories, and. The next podcast episode will be with our piano phase duo, Monica and Anna. This is the second podcast that I've done with them, and I think you'll really enjoy to hear what they've been up to and what they have planned for the future.